10, 9, ignition sequence start, 6. Hi, welcome to today's 10th episode of Launchpad. Launchpad is a series of videos under Rocket Fuel where we interview prominent members of the Rocket Pool and Ethereum communities. Today's guest is Rhett, who is the founder of Gravita Protocol. If you watch Rocket Fuel, you've probably seen me mention um, Gravita a whole bunch of times recently. They're getting ready for launch, they've been going through audits, and um, Gravita is a lending borrowing protocol that's um, a friendly fork of liquidity. I won't spend too much time talking about Gravity just yet because we'll be talking about that a whole lot in the second half of the video. But Rhett, I'd really like to welcome you to Launchpad, to Rocket Fuel. And um, yeah, um, how are you doing today? Doing great. So great to be here. Been a longtime follower of uh, Rocket Fuel, so I'm excited to be on. I'm really happy to hear that. Thank you. So um, Rhett, like, who are you? Like, Can you tell me a little bit about yourself for the people who might not know who you are? Sure. Yeah. Um, I'll, uh, maybe I'll just give you a little bit of background of, uh, uh, what I've been up to before and, and after entering crypto. So I'm based in Utah in the U S and, um, I've been involved, uh, in crypto since about 2016, probably, um, have always been really excited about the things that can be built on, you know, smart contract platforms. But obviously in those earlier days, it was a lot of ICOs and not a lot to do just yet, um, but have been investing in and following the space pretty closely um, since then. And, um, uh, you know, got more directly involved the last few years. Um, so I, um, when, when DeFi kind of started to hit, take off in 20, more so in 2020, um, I was just over the top obsessed and was working in a field that I loved, actually. I was a data scientist for a software company building a machine learning product. And uh, if you had asked me in 2019, I would have told you I'll be there for the next 10 years at that company in that role. I just loved it there. And um, But I was so obsessed with DeFi that I was, <laughs> I was spending at least a full-time job's worth of time on DeFi all through 2020 into 2021 and just kind of out of nowhere, just quit my job and decided to do crypto stuff full time, um, even though I love my job. So I, I quit my job and just started doing some kind of free consulting and, and things like that. And then um, from there, I ended up working at a crypto asset manager for a while, um, which I also loved. I've done a lot of, um, I've, I've used a lot of DeFi at an individual and an institutional level level. And, um, and and loved, you know, managing assets in an institu institutional level as well. Um, but um, yeah, I kind of ended up seeing this need that I felt like needed to get filled and others weren't filling it. And so, you know, found myself building Gravita. So then I, I left uh, that asset manager and now I'm, um, I've, I, you know, I've had multiple of these uh, careers that I thought would be, you know, longer lived, but uh, I've ended up, you know, leaving just because not because they're bad, but because there's, you know, something that I, I love enough that I am willing to leave something that I love. So that's so cool. Okay. So we're going to break apart that whole story of yours. Um, but, uh, let's like go back to the beginning, right? So it's 2016. Um, what were you doing at the time? Like back then, um, what, what was your life like before you got into crypto? Yeah, just, you know, working and, 
Um, I had at, at that time I had I had actually gone through a career, career transition then too from a career I didn't love into one I did. Um, had career transitioned in 2015 um, and kind of moved from an economics consulting into um, into machine learning and uh, was just yeah working enjoying my life and uh, one of my friends I had heard about Bitcoin in the very early days and I remember debating with some co-workers as to like you know just discussing if there was something there and some were like really in favor some were really against and I was just like I'm not really sure I don't really know um but when I first learned about ethereum was in 2016 and I was just instantly like you know obsessed and so I I went and invested in it and I participated in some ICOs and I kind of assumed well a lot of these might go to zero but it's a way for me to kind of you know, uh, give support to some entrepreneurs trying to build things. Yeah. And I don't think I invested in any ICOs of any great quality. <laughs> yeah. uh, there were some really great quality ones, but, um, uh, but yeah, you know, from the early days was, was kind of more focused on the Ethereum community. Mm-hmm. Um, at, mostly as an investor, just invested and, and kind of followed the space. Um, but, but at a, at a little bit of a distance, did some mining too. You know, mm-hmm. I had a, I had a um, a pretty good GPU for mining, and um, I flipped that on and and mined probably from 2016 through, you know, 2019 or so on on that GPU, um, just as a way to kind of contribute, um, you know, to the to the blockchain in that way. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of what I was up to at the time. Do you remember how you heard about Ethereum? Um, so I randomly saw the name. Um, so, so this is this is kind of like a, a random tangent, but a friend of mine um, who's an economist did some really interesting research on drug markets um, and uh, published in some economics research papers. And, and we were looking at some of these, um, uh, you know, these online, it was like the follow on to like the Silk Road. Um, and so he pulled data from those into this research. And I remember looking at one of these and saw that it was that they said you can pay with Bitcoin or Ethereum. And I was like, what's Ethereum? And um, I'm sad I hadn't heard about it earlier. Um, and and then and then that was that. Yeah. And then literally like, I don't know, six months later or something, um, a, a good friend of mine um, that I would play a lot of StarCraft with, um, he just like randomly mentioned Ethereum to me. And I like, almost immediately so i had recognized the name as like oh it's mm-hmm. a cryptocurrency and then i almost immediately just like became like like deeply interested in that like bitcoin i found interesting in like 2010 but it's the smart contract layer that got me like really like sold on the space yeah so yeah so then what kind of rabbit holes did you go down in that period yeah just m- mostly um kind of the rabbit hole of like what what sorts of things you could theoretically build um on on ethereum and um and then i i remember listening to an interview with um with rune christensen about MakerDAO and what mm-hmm. what they were doing there and that was like super mind blowing it's funny now now it's like so obvious but at the time it was like wait can you like stabilize a stable coin in this way using eth as collateral and and I don't know if it's possible, but it's really exciting. And I uh, was super stoked about like the possibilities of that. Yeah. Um, probably besides ETH itself, MakerDAO was the thing that I was most excited about and most kind of curious. Like I can see how it logically might work, but it wasn't very clear. Like a lot of m- myself and a lot of the people that I remember talking to, it was like, 
it's a really cool idea. I hope it works, but who knows if it will, you know, now it's like super proven. Yeah. So yeah. Maker of course was one of the first major DeFi protocols, right? I think it started in 2018 or was it 2019? So we around then. And I remember yeah. a whole lot of people got liquidated yeah. <laughs> with their yeah, CDPs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, a, what a shame. But, um, Okay, so you you started going down these rabbit holes. How was it like seeing the the rise in ETH price from twenty sixteen when you you know you invested and you started like learning about it and these ICOs that you were going and all the way through like twenty seventeen it was pretty much just one big pump right like the whole year like what what kind of things were you thinking at the time like were you trying to trade like what what was going on with that? I've never been a big trader, um, but I. I do remember getting really excited as it is it like kind of pumped. I remember it going kind of from the 200-ish range to like, what was it like 12 or 1400 or something like that. Yeah, and I was buying all the way up. And I remember when it dropped below a thousand, I said to my brother, I'm like, I think this might be the last opportunity to buy ETH below a thousand. And we both bought some. And then I didn't follow it super closely. I've never been like a short-term trader type. Mm. Um, but I remember like kind of checking back in a little bit later and it was like down to 700 and I'm like, Oh, and I bought some more. And I saw I go to 400, I bought some more. And I'm the sort of person that like, I tend to get more excited when something I value goes down than mm -hmm. when it goes up. Like I don't want to see people get liquidated. And so, so there's more pain associated with it now when I see people getting blown up. Uh, and, but, uh, but at the time, I would just check in periodically, and every time it went down, I'd buy some more, and um, and never really felt a lot of, um, I never felt too worried about it. You know, I'm I'm like, yeah, if it goes to ten bucks, I'll buy a lot more. You know, and nice. and be glad for it. Um, but you know, the the run up was exciting, but then the meltdown of 2018 didn't bother me at all. It. I was like really actually really grateful to be able to accumulate a little bit more, you know, mm. whereas like, and I, it, it's funny. I, I, I kind of feel mixed feelings. Like even right now, when I see ETH start pumping, um, like, a you know, the last few weeks, there's been a few big updates. I, I feel this like, ah, oh, I don't have enough. Maybe like wait before you pump, you know? <laughs> so down markets in some ways are more exciting to me, except when I see people blow up, that is very sad to me. Yes. So I feel that side of it more now because there's more DeFi and there's people who take leverage. Whereas before yeah. there was a little bit in MakerDAO, but that was really it. And so most people were just holding spot, you know? Yeah. That's 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 an interesting way of looking at it because I was down, I think, 90% of my portfolio at one point in 2018 or 2019. And I was of the same persuasion as you right like i was kind of following it a little bit more closely maybe than you were but i bought more like my best eth buy my first eth buy was i think in the 800s or something like that and then my best eth buy was like 120 so i bought a nice chunk of it there and you know i was able to get my average price of eth down to like three low to 300s and mm -hmm. that was fairly respectable like for someone who got i got in right at the i i heard about eth before but i got in right at the top of the bull market in twenty seven late 2017, early 2018. So I wrote it all out and like, now here we are, right? So um, tell me about what it was like seeing like Maker launch and the like the first rumblings of like DeFi stuff because you said that was something that super pulled you in. So what kind of projects were you hearing about? Like what was exciting about it? That's a great question. Um, so, so yeah, MakerDAO, um, I followed pretty closely even before it launched and was like 
ultra excited about that one. Um, and then I actually, I kind of didn't follow it super closely during the bear market. You know, I, I accumulated some more ETH and um, I was spending a lot of my time, a lot of the time now that I'll spend like learning about crypto, I was, you know, deepening my expertise in, in, you know, the areas of machine learning I was working in hmm. uh, and was, you know, very deeply, um, you know, uh, spending my time there. And so I would hear about things a little bit here and there. Um, and I was excited about it. I was kind of like not, I wasn't super, super on top of it, like during like 2019, et cetera. A buddy of mine invited me over one day and was like showing me how to use MetaMask. And he showed me um, set protocol. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at first I was like, oh, okay, what's really the value here? But then I just I remember thinking about it. And then I started blowing that guy up a bunch where I just like text him the super long text of like, oh, you can take set protocol and you could do this. And then um, he showed me how to do a, a swap on Uniswap in like kind of before things took off. And and so then I just started like getting really excited about the things that you could build. Um, so I think I think, yeah, set protocol and MetaMask and kind of Uniswap I heard about. And then but I still like I actually wasn't super aware until kind of probably mid 2020 of like a lot of the other building that was happening. Like there's some really cool stuff that was being built that I just wasn't following as close. I wasn't a big Twitter user. Mm. Um, crypto forced me to become a Twitter user. Uh, I, I was like, I'm missing out on stuff. I need to be on Twitter. So where and, were you getting your crypto news from in that time? Like, we is it just through like word of mouth or was it any communities you were part of? Like what was going on? Conversations with friends mostly. And yeah. then also... Um, and I, I followed a little bit of crypto news. And so I'd like, I'd hear some news of like, oh, there's been this huge surge in activity on Ethereum. And I'm like, okay, I need to go see what that activity is. And then I just like go Googling around and be like, okay, here's, you know, that was like before DeFi Llama was around. I remember I found um, the DeFi Pulse Index and started kind of just like, I just like grab that whole list and just go read the docs on every one of those protocols. Yeah. And there was... There wasn't that many to follow at the time, right? Mm, so, exactly. Yeah, I remember. I remember when we hit our first one billion TVL and DeFi protocols, and we we're like mind blown. You know, like this is amazing. And then, of course, it was the the food tokens that started and oh, yeah. the yield, yield farming. Did you do any yield farming at all back then? I didn't do a ton, and I remember talking to a buddy of mine of like I was more holding ETH, mm-hmm. and I remember a lot of the DeFi protocols were pumping, and um. And I was like, and ETH wasn't pumping, DeFi tokens were pumping and ETH wasn't really pumping. And I was like, that seems kind of like nonsense. Like the Ethereum blockchain is getting used more. It should accrue value with it. Mm. And um, I I was still holding mostly ETH. And then I was like, okay, I need some exposure to these DeFi uh, tokens. I ended up uh, picking up some DPI, uh, the DeFi Pulse Index, just like, okay, I'll, I'll get a little bit of diversified exposure. And then I'm like, well, I need to get into some, uh, you know, like, I just wanted to kind of do some more stuff, mostly to like for from the learning perspective. So I went and started liquidity providing ETH and DPI. And then I'm like, oh, I'll do that with leverage on Alpha Hamora and um, did that. And a lot of that was just to kind of like, you can learn how things work theoretically, but I, I really wanted to kind of dive in and start using those. And, and, um, and so then from there, so yeah, other than ETH, I think DPI might've been the first thing I held where I was observing and learning, but I was like mostly holding ETH, picked picked that up. And then from there, I was like, I just need to start 
using a lot of these things. And so that just became a big thing where I'm like, I'm going to like dedicate some of my, some of my ETH for like learning money, you know? So I would just yeah. take and use this protocol, use that and, you know, um, try these different things. I didn't do a whole lot of like trying to chase narratives and chase pumps and things. And I had friends that in the very early days of like both crypto punks and, and, and the apes were like, you need to buy one of these. And I was just like, I think that stuff is cool. I am not good at speculating on that stuff. And I really want to spend my time on DeFi, just like, you know, learning it. So I just would use every DeFi protocol basically. Yeah. Did you get any airdrops? I've gotten some and I have, I have a kind of a, a mixed relationship with airdrops. I tend to like, I'll, I'll take an airdrop and just hold on to it. Cause I'm like, mm -hmm. well, you know, like, um, I don't feel a lot of need to like, you know, realize some gains. And because of that, sometimes I've been, um, I've been slow to claim. Cause I'm like, well, I'm just going to hang on to it anyway. And one of them, I was this huge advocate of cow swap. I like got like all my friends using cow swap and then there's a cow swap airdrop and all my friends were like taking their airdrop and selling it. And, stuff. and I'm like, well, I'm just going to hang on to mine. And I didn't pay that close of attention. And then when I went to claim, it was like a week after it was like the, the, um, the window closed. And I'm like, Oh, I don't even get my airdrop. And literally the reason I didn't claim was because I was going to be one of the few who didn't sell it, you know? Yeah. But um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I made sure like, with the most recent one, I got an ARB airdrop mm -hmm. and I, I made sure to actually go claim that one. And, and then I just, you know, delegated my votes to someone. I, I, I kind of, I like, I like supporting protocols that I'm going to use anyway. And then I just will, will kind of grab and hang on to their stuff. You know, no judgment for those who go and sell, sell airdrops. But for me, it's like, uh, I don't have a, you know, like I, I don't really care to take a big opinion on ARB's um, valuation right now. It's like, I like what they're doing. I like what Optimism and the others are doing too. I'll just support them. They gave me, they basically gave me some free money. I'll just, I'll just hang on to it, you know. Makes so. sense. Okay. So um, we have DeFi summer. Things are going kind of crazy. You're getting involved in all these DeFi protocols. That's when like this barbell theory emerged, right? Like you, you hold Bitcoin on one side and you hold DeFi tokens on the other side and there's no real use for ETH. So the ETH price really stagnated over that time. Like there wasn't really doing much of anything. But of course yourself, people like me, like we knew that this was like, you know, volcano ready to pop, right? Like, so 2021 comes, you know, we get bull market, like that goes kind of crazy. How how were things for you during that time? Like um, the price was way above, you know, the, the amounts, like the, sorry, the, your cost basis, like from 2017, 2018, like what was going on with, with your thoughts at that time? Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, I've, I've always been, probably ever since I learned of Ethereum, I've been, um, yeah, yeah, incredibly optimistic. And so when price started going up, I, again, kind of like, kind of like in the 2018 era, when it dropped below a thousand, I'm like, that's the last time it'll go below a thousand. So when ETH was pumping to 4k or whatever, I was like, 40k is right around the corner <laughs> yeah. is what I thought. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, uh, yeah, so that's, that, that was kind of my viewpoint. And so I, I bought a ETH all the way up to 4k and I, I don't regret buying it at 4k again. I'm not like a, I'm not like a trader type. Yeah. I I'm very much into using my assets productively in DeFi. Like if I'm going to hold ETH anyway, I'll go use it productively and earn yield on it. But I don't do a lot of like buying and selling of stuff. I'll, I'll accumulate stuff that I believe in. 
So yeah, as it, as it pumped, I was like, okay, this makes sense. And it ought to be. And, um, I, I did a little bit of rebalancing because in, in kind of the 2016, 17 era, I had, I was like, well, I think ETH is going to be a big thing, but there's some of these competitors that maybe they're more disruptive. And so I picked up some of those, I won't name them. And, but I was kind of like in 2020, that's when ETH really started executing. And I'm like, at this point, I'm not buying an L1 or an ICO that hasn't executed because there are things that are executing I'll, I'll invest in execution. And so yeah. I sold a lot of those into ETH and, um, and then, you know, some of them pumped later and I didn't actually have any regret at all. I'm like, yeah. invest in things that are delivering real utility to the world. That's what I'm kind of more about. Yeah. So, so yeah, I remember talking to a friend when, when ETH hit 4k and I was like, yeah, I think it hits, um, I think it hits like 20 K by, you know, you know, this year or whatever. And I was, I was way off. <laughs> so everyone was way off. I remember, um, this guy squish chaos. He gets mentioned in trading sometimes about how, you know, he wrote the 77 page paper. That was his kind of like thesis about, uh, ETH 150 K. And he was like, you know, a proponent of the super cycle theory and saying that like, we're going to go up and there'll be all this premium and stuff. And I, I loved that paper. I read the whole thing and I was like, this is so great. And I guess, what ended up happening, of course, you know, we didn't hit 150k, but um, the ideas, like, it really plants ideas in your mind of what's possible and where things might go, and like, it kind of reframes your perspective of how to think about ETH, um, and that's what happened to me. Like, once I read that paper, I really bought like a whole lot more. I think ETH was like at 300 at the time. It was in 2020, just as um, we were recovering from the COVID crash. And that's, I think that's when he wrote the paper. And I, I bought a lot in that fall um, of 2020, um, partly because of that. But I didn't, I didn't, you know, think it was going to go to 150, right? Like, but I did think like, like there was this idea that 10K is FUD. And I was like, yeah, 10K is FUD. Like we're definitely going to like go more than that. But of course it wasn't meant to be at the time, but um, we're still, we're still doing okay, I think. <laughs> yeah. But um, I remember that paper as well. And I, I bought into that and I believed in the super cycle and, yeah. and um. Yeah, I mean, usage usage was just in, increasing incredibly fast, and and real utility. And I'm just like, yeah, this is this is clearly like the future. And and I just didn't realize how much off chain. I had no clue how much off chain leverage there was, mm. you know, like with with you know three AC and Alameda and DCG and all of them. You know, I I followed the on chain um, leverage pretty closely. Yeah. But that off chain, like those people melting down and and all of that happening, was um, something that that kind of surprised me. When when three AC blew up, I was so surprised. I thought Suzu was a giga brain. I thought that they were gonna be, you know, printing money forever. You yeah. Know? So yeah. it almost worked out for them. You know, like they they almost had it. If it wasn't for uh, being stuck in STETH and um, also EETH and gbtc you know the grayscale products they were just not liquid and that's what killed them in the end like i think if they were able to get some liquidity around that time they might have survived and then nobody would have known right that the emperor was wearing no clothes like we might even now be thinking that they were giga brain like super traders and stuff but um let's take a step back like a little bit um 2021 was kind of like the time when I started hearing about Rocket Pool. Um, what what were your thoughts about like staking at the time and like Rocket Pool? Because I know that you've been around the Rocket Pool community for a while. Like, how did you hear about that? 
Yeah, good question. So Rocket Pool has been building for quite a while. You know, when when Ethereum moved to proof of stake initially, um, I actually was trying to get uh, um, a node spun up to be part of like the original kind of um, like genesis yeah. uh, of, the, of the beacon chain. And, and then I failed to like get stuff up and going fast enough. And then after that, I was like, oh, I kind of actually want to keep my ETH liquid and do this DeFi stuff anyway. Um, but I started back then following pretty closely, like what are the liquid staking protocols coming up and just started researching some of them. And um, remember learning about Rocket Pool back then and learning about some of the others, Lido and Anchor. Um, Anchor was a pretty early mover and um, got really excited about, you know, the prospect of liquid staking from the early days of like staking. So that would have been late 2020. Um, and, um, just started following a lot of the projects back then and, um, loved, loved the idea of rocket pool, being able to approach it from day one at, at such a kind of a decentralized approach, you know? And so, um, yeah. And, and a close friend of mine, who's actually, he's a little bit more, not, he's not like super deep in crypto, but he's just been a long time ETH holder. I remember, like Lido was launching and he's like, well, I'm going to wait for rocket pool. And I had looked into them a little bit, researched them more. Um, and, um, and then I came and got, you know, interacted with the community a little bit in discord and loved how active and friendly the community was. Um, it's pretty like stark how, like how much more vibrant that community is than most. Um, and that's not a criticism to others. And how friendly they are. And actually, um, uh, moving forward a little bit, I, when I was working at that crypto asset manager, we were wanting to do some things in Rocket Pool. And I remember coming in and just asking some questions about um, spinning up mini pools. That was when the when the um, uh, well, it was it was the first time it was like a um, the bottleneck was as it is now, mm. um, and. Um, uh, so um, we're just kind of like looking at um, liquid staking versus running mini pools and stuff, you know, and just like exploring what that looked like. And I remember coming in and asking some questions and multiple rocket pool people just jumped in and started answering my questions were super friendly, DM'd me, introduced me to other people to like kind of help me like understand some things from like the needs of an institution. And, um, and uh yeah, it was just super awesome community. Like like a lot of these, and this isn't a criticism, but a lot of DeFi protocols are like, you know, you'll have the team answering the community's questions and then you have users. Sometimes it's a small subset of users because it's like a complex enough protocol that really only professionals use it or whatever. And that's fine. But the Rocket Pool community is like, just like this huge, awesome, like group of friends, it feels like. Um, so immediately in coming in there and interacting with people, I was just like, I felt super welcome and really appreciated the community. Yeah, that's great. So let's take a step back, right? So you were doing your machine learning job that you absolutely loved. Um, what was like the reason why you jumped and like got a crypto job? Like what, what were you thinking of and when did that happen exactly? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah, that would have been, um, that would have been, was that late 2021? Okay. Um, so right at the peak of the bull market. Yeah, it's funny. I was like not sleeping enough because I was working a full-time job. 
Um, and I was spending more than a full time's job's worth of time on crypto. Like I was spending so much time on crypto and, um, uh, and I was dating someone who she was just like, hey, why don't you just quit your job and do crypto? And I was like, that's not a good idea. <laughs> I like love my job, first of all. Yeah. Um, and she said that to me on a Thursday. And on Friday, I had a one-on-one -on -one with my boss. And in the one-on-one, -on -one, I just go, I, I was just like, hey, um, I think I need to leave. <laughs> and um, just like out of the blue. And she's like, okay. So I, I spun down over the next, you know, two, three weeks. And I think that was October of 21. 2021. Okay. So just as we were coming up for the second peak, basically, of the of the bull market. Yeah. It must have felt good to be like, yeah, I made the right decision over those next, like, six weeks to two months at that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I left there and I didn't have anything lined up. I just mm -hmm. quit. Yeah. So then I just started doing free consulting to a lot of um, projects, you know, var various, just kind of coming in and just helping out where I could various um, DeFi projects, et cetera. So and, how did you get involved with that? Like, what was, what was your process? Is it just because of contacts you had made up over the years or was it like, what was happening? Yeah. So I'd like just jump in discords and help people out and just be like active in communities. And like, I've always enjoyed crypto educational stuff. In fact, I did like uh, for a little while, I did like a weekly Twitch stream with a buddy um, on kind of DeFi educational stuff. So just come in and answer questions and do stuff in, in protocols that I was a user of. And then I had friends who knew I was into crypto who would like some a friend here in Utah just reached out and introduced me to a couple of like crypto startups in Utah and they needed some advice and things. And so I just got go help them out and not charge them anything just yeah. you know uh did did stuff like that for a while and then just kind of randomly um got connected with this uh, crypto asset manager yeah uh, one of my friends in fact it was someone like that a guy that uh wanted some help understanding some things about DeFi. a friend introduced me we had a call for like an hour and a half where i just walked him through some DeFi stuff he reached out to me and was like hey i'm working at this asset manager are you interested and i'm like I was like, well, well, have a conversation. I was just enjoying working in the informal economy, you know? Mm -hmm. So had a conversation, ended up joining them. That would have been a, like, that was April of last year. So a little bit more than a year ago, yeah. um, uh, joined that asset manager um, doing, um, yeah, basically just institutional DeFi, all things DeFi. So um, but yeah, from October of 21 till April of 22, I was just like, floating around, helping out whoever, um, just like not really worried about, you know, getting paid, just thought I'd just help out where I could. And what was like your family or like the, you know, your close friends and stuff, what, what did they think about this decision of you to like, just quit this job that they, you know, they've probably heard you saying you loved for years. And then all of a sudden you just like quit and you're doing like this crypto thing that I guess, I don't know how like into it your family were, but like, what, what were their thoughts about the whole thing? Uh, my mom said something funny to me. She was like, I, I think she was like, oh, I guess you could like, you know, I guess if you need money, you can drive Uber or something. And, uh, <laughs> um, I was like, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I think uh, mo most people have been pretty, mo most of my friends and family are, are very, you know, supportive of me and, and kind of trust my judgment. Yeah. And so I didn't get, I never really got much pushback from anyone. They're just like, mm -hmm. oh, cool. You're doing this other thing that you like. Cool. You know? Nice. So, 
that's really cool so what was what was your day-to-day like for this asset firm like what what were you doing were you managing their portfolio or part of their portfolio or were you just advising like what what were you doing yeah so that crypto asset manager they do a lot of things um so they they have some crypto focused like some DeFi focused um funds like a a fund that earns yield on stable coins um they have some some other DeFi oriented funds and then they have like you know, um, kind of w- large wealth clients, like think a big ETH whale or a Bitcoin whale or something that they they do stuff for them. And then they have some crypto focused VC. I got involved in all things DeFi. So um, helping allocate the assets of the stablecoin yield fund, like, okay, where can we get the best risk adjusted returns in, in DeFi on stablecoins? So a lot of that was, um, yeah, just designing strategies using DeFi protocols. Um, I started my, my favorite thing I did was like very early on the job there, a client called up and was like, Hey, I want to, um, I want you to send me some of the ETH that you're custodying for me over to BlockFi so I can borrow against it and make a real world asset purchase. And I was like, I didn't know that client yet, but I was like, why would they do it through BlockFi when there's DeFi protocols that are so much better. And so I wrote up a quick, um, one pager on, you know, here are different places you can you can borrow. And we had a call with, with that person. And, and I was just like, Hey, here's some different things you can do. And here's the differences. Um, and for you, I think we should, you know, borrow against your ETH on liquidity and, and here's, here's why it's better. And it was like easiest conversation in my life. They're like, yep. Okay. We sent, you know, so instead we just kept the ETH borrowed against it in liquidity for that person and sent them the, the stables to do their thing. And after that, we were like, well, there's probably other clients here that have BlockFi loans outstanding. So we started calling people up and I called it my BlockFi vampire attack. And I'm like, I'm just like, DeFi is so much better. You know, you borrow on liquidity, you pay a half a percent up front, you pay 0% forever. So from an interest perspective, it's way better. It At the same level of borrow, you'll get liquidated at a much lower ETH price. So you have a bigger liquidation buffer. So it's better in that regard. And then, oh, it turns out that, that BlockFi blew up as well. I didn't expect that at the time. Yeah. So I call that DeFi as a service. Did a lot of that where just reached out to clients and said, hey, what are things you're wanting to do with your your assets that we can kind of help you with? And a lot of them, like I said, we're borrowing on BlockFi and then we just moved them over to um, DeFi, um, mostly liquidity. How many people Um, were you able to get out of BlockFi? uh, Like a handful of like large. um, I bet uh, they're so happy with you right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think I think they're pretty grateful, and I was really happy about it too. Um, because it's like, okay, this person, I figured I'm gonna save them a lot of money in interest payments. I didn't realize that we're also saving them their entire um ETH stack, which is a big deal. Absolutely. Um, and then there's some that that company also has some uh kind of uh crypto VC funds and. I, I got involved in those whenever it related to DeFi. So the VC team would invite me, like if they're if they're talking to a DeFi team, I'd go join that too. So everything from generating yield to DeFi as a service to, you know, uh, DeFi VC was involved with all of that there. And um, yeah, did that, did that for a while. And I also thought I'd be there for a while, but um, uh, Gravita pulled me away, so... Maybe now's a good time to actually talk about liquidity, right? So um, it's you mentioned it a couple of times just then that you were trying to get people into liquidity. Um, was it a protocol that you were using? Like that was like one of your favorite DeFi protocols at the time. Like what what was it about liquidity that you that you felt confident 
uh, sending your clients towards? Yeah, good question. So um, as I uh, mentioned, kind of the first DeFi protocol I got excited about was MakerDAO, and I'm still a fan of, of, of them. And I feel like in a lot of ways, Liquidity kind of improved the MakerDAO model. So when that when Liquidity launched, I was extremely excited and have been a fan and a user for a long time. And I felt like they improved the MakerDAO model in a lot of ways. Um, you know, they have some unique, interesting ways to um, help LUSD stay stable. Um, the the debt token of the system. Um, they're immutable, which is amazing. Um, and um, the stability pool for liquidations is like this ultra efficient liquidation mechanism. It also ends up being a great way um, to DCA into ETH if you're a stablecoin holder. Um, you know, you can just convert your whatever, your USDC into LUSD, throw it in their stability pool, and you'll just be capturing ETH when people get liquidated. And... Um, and then their fee model for long-term borrowers is incredibly compelling. You pay an upfront fee that's generally a half a percent and you never pay a fee again. And so for someone who's making real world asset purchase and they're like, if you're borrowing against your ETH to buy a home and you plan on like paying that down over 30 years, a one-time half a percent fee amortized over 30 years is incredible, right? So I think they're the most censorship resistant their the immutability is a superpower of theirs that is hard to duplicate um ultra like battle tested you know they've been through ups and downs and and the system has worked super well um and so i had a very high degree of trust in them and then their fee model for long-term borrowers is just incredible so that was one of the things like for these users that um the you know these clients of 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 my previous employer that we're wanting to do long-term borrower borrows. I'm like, I just showed them the options of Ave is great. Here's what the interest rate looks like. It's variable, but it's low. MakerDAO is great. Here's what the interest rate looks like. It's also low, but liquidity for a long-term borrower is just like much better um, generally. Um, so I was kind of like, all of these are great options. And then the other thing about liquidity is because their liquidation mechanism is so fast and efficient, you can have, you know, you can borrow 90 cents on the dollar at liquidity, whereas like MakerDAO can't, can't allow such aggressive borrowing because liquidations happen through this, you know, auction mechanism that needs more of a buffer, et cetera. And that also is a huge deal. So when there was the kind of three AC Celsius meltdown, one of my clients that we had moved into a liquidity loan on any other platform, for sure on BlockFi, and also on any other platform in DeFi would have been liquidated. Yeah. But they weren't because, because they had that bigger buffer. And so, yeah, I've been, for all of those reasons, I've been a really big fan of, of liquidity for a long time. Um, their team's also awesome, really smart, really nice people. Um, and the protocol is just incredible in a lot of ways. And, um, and I also, I love supporting a protocol that is more, you know, on the censorship resistant side of things, you know, LUSD is this, you know, ultra censorship resistant stablecoin, And that is like a really important thing, I think, for the ecosystem. Great. So were you involved with like liquidity, like community slash team? Like what was your relationship with them like? Not directly. No, yeah. I was a user and a big fan and. I actually ended up meeting them more as I started building Gravita and, mm -hmm. and I, I love them. They're awesome. But before that, I didn't know them. Yeah. I, I saw interviews with them. I read their docs and everything, but I, um, and I, 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 I never got that active in their discord either, actually. Mm -hmm. 
uh, even though I'm a super fan. Yeah. Okay. So I guess that's a really great time now for us to talk about Gravita. Okay. So um, of course you're the founder of Gravita and um, let's talk about what, what is Gravita? Like, can you, can you tell me a little bit about like the, the elevator pitch that you have for Gravita? Sure. Yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what it is. And then, and then maybe we can talk about the motivation. As yeah, we well. can, yeah. We can tie it all together. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, so Gravita is based on liquidity um, with a handful of changes um, those being liquidity takes just ETH as collateral. Uh, we are multi-collateral, meaning you can, you can borrow against ETH, you can borrow against our ETH, um, and other liquid staking tokens. We're focused on liquid staking tokens as, uh, collateral. Um, and, um, so multi-collateral liquidity, we still have the stability pool for liquidations like they do. Um, and, uh, whereas in, in in liquidity, when someone gets liquidated, you're always capturing ETH. In ours, if you're in the stability pool, you'll capture whichever collateral type that they were borrowing against, um, which is going to be ETH and liquid staking tokens. And then with a few other modifications. So that upfront borrow fee of a half a percent, we still do that, um, but we stream it over six months because liquidity is a great borrowing platform for short-term or long-term borrowers, but not great for short. Uh, we want to be an appealing place for both. Um, so, uh, that half a percent borrow fee, if you borrow for six months or more, it's the same as liquidity. If you're borrowing for less, it's more like about an, a 1% APR because it's a half a percent streamed over six months. So, so a few modifications there and, um, and it's really, really focused on supporting liquid staking tokens and really like benefiting and helping them grow and especially helping like high quality minority liquid staking tokens grow. We think that, you know, the Ethereum community at large will benefit as, you know, if, if, if the liquid staking kind of category is able to grow and also be highly diverse. Great. Okay. So um, let's go back to liquidity now, right? Like, so you basically were interacting with liquidity for your clients and then how did the idea of Gravita come to you um, of like, instead of having just ETH as the collateral, instead you'd have these LSTs as collateral? Like what, what was the thinking there? Yeah, good question. For a long time, probably even before I was doing that for clients, I had this view that a, a protocol like Liquidity can be really good fuel for growth for the collateral types that they support. Uh, it brings a lot of utility to whatever collateral types they support. Um, and I remember looking and seeing that most liquid staking tokens don't have much DeFi integrations um, and um, just kind of felt like this is a really high quality type of protocol and this type of protocol can be really helpful to these things. And um, I actually went and had some uh, conversations in, in you know various communities, including the Rocket Pool community and was like, hey, has anyone thought about building this? This would be really helpful. And some people were like, yeah, that would be great, but no one was building it. And then I got someone to introduce me to Liquidity's team and I had a call with them and said, hey, this is what needs to be built and here's why. Um, have you guys thought about building this? And they said, well, um, we can't upgrade Liquidity to do that because it's immutable and we're building other things. So at that point, you know, I, I actually did not ever plan on, on founding a DeFi protocol, but I... Um, I just felt like there was this huge need um, for a protocol like this to support um, to support liquid staking tokens, and no one else was building it. Um, and so I was like, "Well, I, I guess I'm going to build it then." <laughs> so, so when were these uh, when were these conversations happening, and when were when were you having these thoughts? 
Um, I, I kind of had been um, kind of iterating on the idea and kind of what modifications I'd make to liquidity, et cetera, from uh, quite a bit earlier. That would have been probably um, kind of probably like even as far back as like um, late 2021 mm -hmm. um, in kind of uh, um, Q1 or two of 22 um, was starting to have conversations, um, and saying, you know, reaching out to some communities that would have been maybe, maybe like, um, around this time, 2022 was talking to people in some of the communities talking, talking to, I can't remember if I talked to liquidity by then, but around May or June was talking to people in rocket pool, people in other communities, talk to the liquidity team, basically trying to find someone to find someone who was building this or find someone to build it, you know? Yeah. And, um, uh, so that would have been the timeline. Yeah. So started thinking about it probably late 21 and, and was talking about it pretty actively by like mid 22. Amazing. So um, <laughs> it's funny because you were talking about how, you know, you were in your machine learning job and then you were almost doing a second job on the side with the DeFi stuff. It sounds like you got your asset management job and then you had a second job on the side with the, with the Gravito stuff. So <laughs> I like, exactly, I like yeah. I always do that to myself. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So at uh, what point did you realize then that uh, Gravito was going to be a thing and this asset management thing was just like too much, taking up too much time and, and you needed to move on? Like what, what was going on there? Yeah, good question. So started kind of working on Gravita um, probably like July-ish, July or August of last year was when we started working on it. Um, you know, convinced a few people to join the effort, um, started doing some building. And um, and by probably fall of 22 was like, you know, when this gets closer, I'll, I'll need to move on from... Yeah from uh my asset management job you know i was already i was like super over levered again already and was like i'm gonna need to move on before too much longer um and uh ended up winding that job down uh like december or january of this last year um so i did both at the same time for a while hmm. um but it, it became too much pretty quickly it's like I was way over levered when I went into DeFi, which is why I just quit my machine learning job and then like very quickly re over levered. <laughs> and so I'm like, all right, I need to wind this down. So I I, I did both um, for the first several months, was very like transparent with with my employer about what I was building. They were really supportive. Um, uh, But it was like this, you know, doing both at the same time is like you know, unsustainable. So, yeah. uh, by late last year, I, you know, buttoned that up and then have been focusing on this. Beautiful. So with the early conversations with liquidity, um, you said that they were quite productive, right? And, um, in fact, the, the paperwork for Gravita says that you're a friendly fork of liquidity. Can you just explain a little bit about what that means? What does it mean to be a friendly fork of, of something? Yeah, good question. So there's a number of ways that will be friendly to liquidity. Um, so, so friendly forks, you'll see, you'll see it not super often, but occasionally, and it can include anything, you know, from like airdrops and integrations to, you know, revenue share, et cetera. Um, we're going to be friendly to liquidity in, in multiple dimensions, actually. 
Uh, we plan to um, eventually host a liquidity front end. Uh, so you can borrow on Gravita or you can toggle over to liquidity front end. Uh, we really we think LUSD is a really important stable in the in the ecosystem, and so uh, we'll we'll likely you know do some co incentivized um, pools with our debt token Gry and the debt token of Liquidity, which is LUSD, uh, to help kind of um, grow its its network effect. Um, uh, and then there's there's some we'll support some of their collateral in our system too. So. And again, I don't mean this in 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 a derogatory way, but like Dai has a lot of USDC under the hood. Mm -hmm. We're trying to serve the more censorship resistant side of the market, so we won't let USDC into our collateral base, but we will let LUSD um, and and BLUSD, which is like LUSD with some baked in yield from their stability pool. So we'll we'll support those as collateral types, which we which we think is is useful. And then there's a few other ways too. So there's there's actually quite a few things we'll be doing um, to um hopefully just benefit liquidity and we we think that it's really important that you know they built something that's very very valuable that we was the starting place for our code base and um and we think we sh they should benefit from from us you know um benefiting from their code so um so yeah um i don't know if that answers the question very well but there there's several things that we'll be doing to be friendly to them you know, accepting their collateral, co-incentivizing um, uh, liquidity for their for their stable coin, um, hosting a front end, and some other things. Great, that's fantastic. Um, Superfizz had this tweet um, this week or last week about how like there's no need to start DeFi or like crypto projects from scratch, right? He says that um, the ethos of Ethereum is like this open source collaborative, build upon each other, iterate on each other, like help each other grow and develop. And it seems like you guys are really embodying like those, those values, right? And I think it's so important that you're super transparent from the beginning about what you're doing, how you're doing it, like how you're forking the product, why, you, you are forking the product and like doing something else instead of just using that product, right? Like um, you're actually building on it in the really like needed way, um, which is which is really valuable. So it's it's fantastic that you guys are doing that like so openly. I think it really, um, it really um, helps those values of Ethereum like and, and DeFi like grow. So like really commend you guys for that. Like that's fantastic. Um, so once yeah, you- Yeah, I appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think forks are great so long as you know, like I think hostile forks. I don't love that. Yeah. Um, but I, it, you know, if you if you leave it open source and then you also um, either are friendly or at least neutral, then you're mm -hmm. kind of you know adding to the experiments happening on Ethereum, and that's a really positive thing. Exactly. Like you know, you you're not vampire attacking liquidity. You're not trying to like take its place or anything like that. Like from what from what you're telling me like you know you want to collaborate and help each other and like if you're going to be taking their um their lusd as as collateral then that will be strengthening liquidity as well right so all of those things are really really great um i really like that that you guys are doing that so um people have this idea that like when you fork when you fork a project you just like press copy in their code and paste it and change some variables um tell me about some of the things that have been challenges for you all about um, getting Gravita going and like what, what's been going on with that? Yeah. So, you know, you could do a very naive fork, which, you know, we, we've seen that a lot with, with several protocols. Liquidity is actually one of the most forked protocols. It got forked all over the place during kind of like, um, 
the you know um all tell one kind of uh season yeah. and uniswap v2 similarly forked all over the place yeah um we love liquidity as a starting place but felt like we need to make needed to make more substantial changes so it was uh like significant engineering effort you yeah. know so um converting it from single collateral to multi um and then there's you know there's different choices of how to approach that where you know people are liquidated through a stability pool we feel like it's a better design to have them all liquidated through the same stability pool rather than having a stability pool per at collateral type just because that means as you add collateral types you end up fracturing your liquidity um yeah. each time you add a new liquidity type or a uh, collateral type um so that's you know that there was some real effort there and then we kind of felt like it was important also to, to shift the fee model um as I, as I mentioned, um, liquidity charges this upfront fee, um, which is, it just, it's, it's really great for long-term borrowers, but not great for short. And we feel like long and short-term borrowers are symbiotic with each other. They both bring benefits to a protocol like this, uh, like this, and we want to be a good venue for both. Um, so we decided to, to shift the fee model. So one-time fee streamed over six months, that was, you know, that's like a, that's a substantial change. Um, so, you know, we started working on this in, you know, July or August or whatever of last year. Um, the, the, the changes we made, you couldn't just implement that, you know, grab liquidity, change a couple of variables and you're good. Yep. They're substantial enough that it, it takes real engineering effort. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's, if if we wanted to just copy liquidity and and be the same in every way, but we take you know something a different asset rather than ETH as collateral, um, then you maybe could have it up and going in a couple of days. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I th I think yeah, it's liquidity is a substantial code base, and the the divergences we made were like non-trivial. So so it's a it, it was a real it's a real effort there. Um, and, uh, I have a lot more respect for, for DeFi builders now is that like, even if you are not building something from scratch, even if you're forking from someone else, if you're doing it in a careful way, it's like, there's, it's, it's a real challenge. Absolutely. So. Yeah. That's great. So you, like you had this engineering challenge in front of you, right? Like who was working on it with you? Like, tell me about your team, like who, mm -hmm. who's in it, what are they doing? Um, and like, it's a, I guess, a nice opportunity for you to like, you know, give them some shout outs if you want. Yeah. 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 So it was really grateful to have um, some people join, um, join the efforts early on. And, and to be honest, most of the people who joined us, especially on the engineering side came from the rocket pool community. Yeah. Um, really awesome community. A lot of really smart, talented people. Um, so Corey Cleaver, uh, who, who uh, came from the rocket pool community, uh, he he leads the front end um, and uh, kind of all things creative. So like he made this T-shirt. Nice. And uh, and so, you know, logo stuff and and uh, front end, both design and building. Uh, he's led on that. And then um, we have three people that are, are the main people working on smart contracts. So and two of the three also came from the Rocket Pool community. So there's Fornax, Dante. Uh, who leads smart contracts he's a big uh, rocket pool and he's actually contributed code to the to the uh, rock to rocket pool as well mm -hmm. um, 
And Gio, um, who is also known as Munchkiner, also came over from the Rocket Fool community. Um, and they've both been amazing on the smart contract side. And then we have um, a guy uh, that goes by Spider. Um, and uh, uh, he he and uh, uh, Dante are both both Brazilian or both live in Brazil and, and uh, super, super awesome as well. Um, and uh, Galermi Spider is uh, um, uh, really great on smart contracts. And then he's done a lot of work on kind of like the connections between the front end and the smart contracts. Um, so on the, on the technical side, those are, those are the main contributors. Um, and uh, they all have been super amazing. And, and like I said, most of them came from the rocket pool community. So that's, that's another thing about how vibrant that community is. So many awesome people who are very talented. I, I like so impressed by, by that community. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, so <laughs> this is going to be a weird question and I hope I phrase it right. Um, you're working full-time on Gravita. You've got a team of people working on full-time on Gravita. Like, how do you pay them? Like, how does, like, tell me about like the funding that came into Gravita. Like, what was that process like? Oh yeah, good question. Well, so for the first while, uh, a lot of us were working with no pay mm -hmm. and um, including some that were working full-time with no pay. And, um, uh, but uh, a little while into it, um, we got approached by 1KX. They're a really awesome uh, crypto VC. Mm -hmm. And, um, super just founder friendly they actually heard about us the liquidity team um uh, introduced us and um before they even invested in us they were just like hey we think this is an awesome project and we want to help out and they were doing some things to help us out and just being really helpful and um uh, they just randomly approached me and said hey we want to give you a little bit of money and help you raise a little bit more and initially i said thanks, but no thanks. We want to prove that we can ship and then we maybe will raise some money. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, well, you know, we, th we think it's a good idea because you'll be more likely to succeed and um, here are the reasons why. And they were right. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, some of, you know, some of these devs are working full-time without pay. I need to pay them. And also guess what? It turns out audits are really expensive. And so um, we did this kind of small angel round that 1kx led um and then we had a few other angels join us and um uh so then um was finally able to start you know paying some people who had been working for a little while with no compensation at all yeah and um and then that gave us a little bit of uh a little bit of money to pay for audits as well so um we didn't go seek we didn't go you know seek out funding um yeah. And we're just, you know, I'm, I'm grateful. We just like randomly were put in touch with them and they liked what we were doing and um, helped us raise a little bit of money. So that's where, that's where the fundings come from. Wonderful. And um, how, how has it been for you? Like, you know, being a founder going from, you know, someone who worked as a consultant and worked in machine learning and worked in DeFi, like how has it been transitioning from all these jobs that you've done to being a founder and now leading like people and like kind of um, being being the like the focal point of a project right like kind of being the face of it being the the what people the person who people look to about about this project like how's that been for you personally uh good question so 
Um, I love nerding out about DeFi. So building DeFi has been really nice. Um, building in DeFi has been really nice. Uh, it definitely is a, a higher stress um, role than other roles that I've had, you know, where there's certain things that, you know, maybe wouldn't be naturally what I would, you know, choose to do in a given job role. But, you know, there's a lot of things where, you know, just need to kind of make things happen. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, learning, you know, learning new things. I've, I've never tried to fundraise before. Um, so that was interesting. You know, obviously they approached us, but, you know, um, that going through that whole fundraising thing was something that was new for me. So yeah, lots of new things, lots, much more um, diversity in, in my day to day um, than in, in past roles. Um, and, uh, I, I am like DeFi obsessed. So being able to build, build in DeFi, I think is like, I like that. I like being able to nerd out about, um, optimal mechanism design and then actually like we can implement it, you know? Wonderful. So, yeah. uh, that, that aspect I like the most. I like, I spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, how these systems, like how I think that they ought to function best. And then, um, kind of designing designing those and kind of figuring out roadmap of features and things. I think that aspects are a lot of fun. That sounds exciting. Yeah. Um tell me about what what your let, let me just think for a second. Um how has your standing in crypto changed since you've kind of like taken on this founder position? Because I, I met you in East Denver, right? And um how how was that experience for you as a founder? Like, how were people talking to you? How are they approaching you? Like, tell me tell me about that a little bit. That is a good question. Um. Uh. Yeah. So I've never. Hmm. Yeah. I. So yeah. I don't know. I don't really know. I feel like. I don't know if people have treated me differently before or after. You know, I've I've gone to some other conferences before, uh, before founding Gravita, interacted with a lot of great people, uh, and then did this time too. Um, and I super love the crypto community and love being a part of it. And I felt like before I founded Gravita and after, um, people are very friendly and welcoming and like, you know, like always like looking for ways to like benefit each other. I feel like in a lot of cases. Yeah. And so, you know, when I was working for an asset manager, meeting with the various DeFi protocols and, you know, different builders and things, um, uh, or even when I was just like in the community, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like the community has always been very welcoming and they're just as welcoming, <laughs> but yeah. maybe not more so. I don't know. I, I, I feel like it's, uh, so far, I don't know if I've noticed a difference actually. Um, yeah, you'll, you'll have to ask me about that again in a year or two. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if things change like after you've launched and then, you know, whether it's successful or not, I don't know if that affects things. Uh, I kind of hope it doesn't. I like, um, I, I, I like the just friendly open community. Um, and I kind of like how the community for the most part doesn't like I don't feel like there's like a lot of hero worship or things like that in the community with yeah. the exception of maybe Vitalik, which is well-earned. <laughs> so, um, 
Yeah, it's just people, people are just friendly and encouraging. That's one thing that I've really appreciated too, is that, you know, we're, we're trying to build something useful and people have been very um, kind and very encouraging. Um, and I've been pretty grateful for that. Absolutely. Okay. So um, next is a slightly different topic, I guess. Um, as you know, like, you know, in crypto in the US, especially over the last few months, last six months or so, I guess, maybe, you know, after FTX collapse, um, there's been like this idea, um, and I don't know like what your thoughts about it, are, that like, crypto is kind of getting cracked down on, especially, you know, by politicians, certain politicians from one side party compared to the other. Um, how has it been for you as like, you know, as an American trying to start a crypto project in the US? Like, has it given you what are you, what have been your thoughts about it like what, what what's going on with you with that kind of regulatory Question. stuff i'm i'm pretty disappointed in the us for not being more friendly some places have been more friendly like utah is is, is trying to be as friendly as they can they passed uh, a law this year to like legally recognize dows so some states have been great and some cities have been great but then the nation as a whole is not uh, or like the at the federal level um in the sec has not been yeah i think where it should be uh, we're not legally organized within the U.S., and that uh, is um, reflects negatively on the U.S. It's not a friendly place to be, and and most of the team is not in the U.S. Actually, mm -hmm. I named some team members. Yeah, um, everyone I named is outside of the U.S. other than myself, and then there's there's some people who are contributing who are others who are here as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I I I I personally think that. Um, crypto is a massive, massive positive, um, you know, techno technological development and the U S ought to embrace it and, and, um, seek to be, uh, an important place where this stuff is built just like they did with, you know, you know, as the internet emerged in the nineties, most of the most important tech companies were built in the U S and I feel like, I feel like, yes, yeah, some have not been as friendly as they ought to be. And it is truly driving innovation overseas mm -hmm. um, i already know many americans who have moved overseas because it's like just better to build elsewhere or you know manage money elsewhere etc and um and uh so yeah I'm, I'm pretty disappointed in some of that i think there's likely to be some change um specifically at the sec gensler my my um perspective on him is that he is less informed than some people realize it's like well he taught crypto at mit but it's like i've heard him talk about uniswap and he doesn't know how it works and he is he has admitted that he's never owned or used mm -hmm. uh, crypto and uh but on the other hand like hester purse is like has a really good perspective so my hope is that you know people like him will will move on with their lives and and we'll get some people who are like more informed um i also think you know Crypto companies and, you know, DeFi protocols, et cetera, don't have any interest in like, like if there was reasonable uh, regulations on crypto, I think crypto uh, organizations would be very excited to comply with them. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the the builders in, in DeFi are good faith actors trying to build a better, more fair more resilient, you know, um, financial system. So, um, 
I don't know. Yeah, I've been pretty disappointed in the U.S. Honestly, and yeah. um, and I love the U.S. I you know I'm American. I grew up here, um, and it has historically been like a hub for innovation. But it's I don't know. I'm 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 not super happy about it. Um, I think there's been people in both in both parties that support and are against, but like mm-hmm. some really prominent people um, on the left have been less supportive. I. I just I just hope that like in the next election cycle it, it'll be shown that it's unpopular to be anti-crypto and then that might normalize things a little bit more. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, um so if you don't mind me asking like how is Gravita going to avoid some of those regulatory issues like um maybe you've already answered it partly by you know saying the team is is not US but are there any other measures you'll be taking to try to keep yourself yourself safe basically from any potential legal issues yeah so we have legal counsel that we're you know approaching things in a way where we feel like we're we're being you know uh ethical and safe um and you know uh gravita team will will pass on um uh control of of the um system to the DAO after, you know, we start distributing the token and spin up the DAO. So that won't be live right at launch, um, but we'll end up decentralizing control and power over the system. Um, and uh, um, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're trying to approach things in a way where um, the system and the token and everything function in a way that's like, you know, healthy for the system and, and um and ethical but also not um gonna you know bring like regulatory issues we've been pretty careful in how we've like fundraised that's where some people have gotten uh in trouble before as well which is like it's 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 tough because like okay if you need money to to spin up a project you know how can you raise that in a in a way that's that's safe and some of these icos have gotten in trouble so we didn't obviously go that route Mm -hmm. um so so yeah, we've 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 consulted some really high quality, you know, um, crypto attorneys on how to approach things in a safe way. Yeah, and um, and then yeah, we're just trying to trying to do things in in an above board fashion where um, there's there's nothing to nothing to criticize. Hopefully, <laughs> so, well, maybe not nothing to criticize about what we've built. I mean, there's different people can have different views on design choices and things like that. But I mean, yeah. like, um, yeah, nothing. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know if that answers that super well. Um, and uh, there's there's various levels of caution that some protocols have where some, some DeFi projects now like lock out all Americans or mm-hmm. they'll at least lock out Americans from airdrops and things like that. Yeah. Um, we're just trying to approach things in a in a balanced way where we can we we want as many people to be able to access our protocol as possible and benefit from it etc yeah. um but uh yeah so just just taking counsel from from those and um trying to do things in a in a way that is pretty you, you know we can learn from the approaches of others there's been lots of defi protocols that have launched and you can kind of we can kind of learn from how they've done things so 
Great. Well, I wish you the best of luck in avoiding all that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. You mentioned a little while ago about audits being expensive. Tell me about like what the audit process was like for you and your team. Like, and like I know that's that can be a really stressful time for for a team. Like, um, tell me about the audits you've done, how that experience was, and like what what you've learned from that. What what's been changed because of that? Yeah, it was a really great experience for us. Uh, the probably the hardest part of the experience was selecting the auditor. In my perspective, there are a lot of really high quality quality auditors out there, and we will likely work with many of the others um, in in future audits. Um, so, spent a lot of time selecting auditors, talked to lots and lots of them, um, and the auditors have been really amazing partners. So, we did our first two audits with DDOB and Omnisha. Both were amazing. And, um, uh, yeah, they, um, we, there haven't been any high severity findings. And so, you know, a, a few mediums and then lots of like lows and gas saving sort of stuff. It's still very helpful to us. Of course. Um, so worked with both of them, uh, a lot of back and forth, um, and just, they're super helpful. Um, and, uh, yeah, grateful for, for the things they found, the things that we're able to improve. And then um, this uh, audit competition that is just about, it wraps up tomorrow on May 8th, yeah. uh, has been really awesome and in a very different way, you know? And so I think to others who are building, I kind of recommend that. Do do like a, a standard audit and then an audit competition or a few standard audits and an audit competition like we did. Um, so we've had lots of people from the community jumping in and, and looking through our code and... Um, and uh, we've had we've had some more like uh, findings as well, um, which has been really helpful. Nothing super complex or super you know severe or anything like that. But um, yeah, it helps helps build a lot of confidence in us that you know we we're based on a super battle tested protocol, which is Liquidy. And then we've had a lot of eyes on our code looking for any kind of exploits and um, and haven't found you know anything um, super severe. So. Um, so yeah, that's, that's been a really good, a really good experience. Um, definitely puts work on our devs, you know, um, the smart contract guys are spending a lot of time, you know, going through the, going through all of these audit reports and, um, making any adjustments as, as needed. Um, but because there's not, not been anything like super severe, uh, we've been able to kind of process through those audits pretty, um, pretty quickly. And, nice. um, yeah, it's been it's been great. Yeah, highly highly recommend it, and highly recommend all of those. We've loved Hats, we've loved Omnisha, we've loved DDob. They've all they've all been great. Amazing stuff. Okay, so let's talk about what Gravitas is going to look like now at launch. So you um, you know, Liquidity just works with ETH. So once you guys launch, um, what what uh, collateral types will you be accepting at launch? And um, is that something that's going to change as as the protocol grows? Like, what's that going to look like? Yes. So let me start by saying one of the really important things to us is to support um, high quality minority liquid stake tokens. Um, and so as more protocols come out with, you know, different, you know, um, architectures, et cetera, um, we will be vetting them and hopefully supporting lots and lots. Um, and, you know, there's many that are coming that aren't live yet. And others that are recently launched, etc. Um, at launch, we'll take ETH itself. We'll technically wrapped ETH. Yeah. Um, we'll take 
wrapped STETH, we'll take RETH, and we'll take BLUSD, um, which is this um, basically yield-bearing LUSD um, okay. token. Uh, so those are the four that we'll take at launch. Um, as an additional safety measure, in addition to all the audits that we've done, we'll be launching each collateral type. We'll, we'll start off with like a relatively low mint cap, and we'll be mm -hmm. inching them up week by week just to kind of grow the protocol um, smoothly um, until we kind of reach uh, terminal levels for those. And then soon after that, we hope to support many other liquid stake tokens and even like the meta LSTs, like like DSETH. And there's a few of these others that have mm -hmm. um, that are coming up now. Yeah. Um, and um, we'll go through a vetting process for each liquid stake token. Um, and then it's like, okay, if you're newer and younger, less battle tested, lower liquidity, then we'll have to have lower mint caps. Mm -hmm. We still want to support you. Um, and so, so yeah, it'll be those four at launch. We'll be onboarding a lot more over the next uh, few months. And then um, also later this year, we plan on supporting um, liquid liquidity provisioning um, positions as collateral. So say you are providing liquidity on balancer between ETH and our ETH, um, we want you to be able to borrow against that position. Uh, those LP collateral will not be live right at launch, but that is um, a high priority, like kind of fast follow. Yeah, that's really cool. So you've said a couple of times, right, that you really want protocols to grow like the quality ones that might be smaller of course you know our eth really uh, fills that criteria right the uh, rocket pool has like a three percent market share of the staking ecosystem it's the only project that is like all green ticks from the ethereum foundation in terms of like open source and like uh, battle tested and um, all of that good stuff you know like decentralized blah blah, blah. um how do you think um Gravita is going to impact uh, our ETH adoption. Like w when you say you want to help those, like what does that actually mean? What will that look like? Like what do you envisage yeah. happening from like a user side to help grow our ETH? Yeah, so from my perspective, these DeFi integrations can be very um, growth enhancing in a, in, a, in a few different ways. For one, if I am a, if I'm a person, say I'm a, a, a crypto, like a DeFi hedge fund, mm -hmm. of which I know many. And I am wanting to uh, use my ETH uh, in a highly productive way to generate yield for my fund. Um, I'm going to want to take my ETH, convert it to a liquid stake token, and then go earn additional yield using DeFi on that thing. Yeah. Um, for our ETH to be able to have those uh, that utility makes it so that a person who otherwise maybe wouldn't hold our ETH in their portfolio, now they will. So I know multiple DeFi-oriented hedge fund managers that will do things like they'll take a liquid stake token, maybe they'll lever it up, and then they'll go hedge out some of the leverage so that they're um, they're capturing higher yield from the staking, but maybe they're not actually like super degen, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of those hedge fund managers want to kind of diversify what liquid stake tokens they're doing that with, but um, but there's less opportunity. So so one is you just for a given person, especially a DeFi user that says, do I hold liquid stake token A versus B? If if B now has things you can do with it in DeFi, your likelihood of holding that goes up. Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing. Um, 
Another thing, so there's there's a number of ways that you can use a protocol like this. So one, you can just go leverage up, you know, take ETH, mint against it, swap that into ETH, wrap it back into ETH, and go, you know, two, three, four, five times levered. Yeah. And um, that, you know, in the short term will would drive more deposits into the deposit pool. It also is going to put you more at risk. Um, mm -hmm. And um, I'm not here to tell people what to do. Um, I don't tend to take a lot of leverage myself. Um, I have been burned by leverage before and I don't want to be burned again because I value my ETH too much. Yep. Um, but, you know, there's there's a group of people that that can do that and that that can drive more adoption. Um, but there's lower um, lower risk ways to use these protocols, too, where you can say, hey, I'm just going to mint some of the debt token. Right. I'm just going to deposit into the stability pool and capture liquidations. And then, you know, if I'm if I'm an RETH holder, I can just convert that into more RETH as I capture those liquidations. But I just left it all in, in stables. I can kind of manage my debt ratio. Another version of that is, hey, I just mint some and I go provide liquidity between that and LUSD or USDC on one of the DEXs and just generate trade fees there. And then I roll those earnings back into more, you know, ETH and uh, et cetera. Um, and so all of those activities can end up driving more growth into um, into the deposit pool. Yeah. Um, and I think, like I said, I think different people um, uh, will use the protocol differently. So I know I know some hedge funds that will probably lever up, take levered exposure, and then hedge out that exposure. Um, I will probably do just more safe things, mint leave it in what's minted and then either provide liquidity on a DEX or, or deposit a stability pool and just use that as a, as a method of like adding a little bit of yield to, um, to my um, uh, holding. So um, like I said, any of those things, they have kind of variations in like how risky they are, but all of them um, for, for a token like RETH can end up driving um, additional deposits um, into the deposit pool in different ways, if that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah, that's really great. Thank you. Um, I really hope we've got we've got like nearly a hundred thousand ETH worth of space in the deposit pool right now. So, yeah. if any of those hedge funds want to take that up, they're more than welcome to. Um, let's talk about like the risks involved, right? So, um, you said that um, liquidity. You were talking about liquidity before about how the possibility of getting uh, liquidated is a little bit better uh, than some of the other protocols that are out there. I'm sure Gravita will be inheriting some of those qualities. So give me, can you tell me a little bit about how that would work? Like how am I less likely to get liquidated by um, taking a loan out using Gravita than I would be using Aave or MakerDAO? Yeah, good question. So um, at day one, um, the max loan to value, the, the amount of money you could borrow against a given amount of collateral mm -hmm. for wrapped ETH will be the same as liquidity. It's a 90%. So you could borrow 90 cents on the dollar. If you borrowed right up to that, you'd get liquidated like right away if you dipped in price, right? Yeah. But that's the max. Uh, for the liquid stake tokens, initially, it'll be more like an 80% rather than a 90%, but that's still much higher than, than um, uh, most other venues. And again, it's because we can process liquidations much more quickly and efficiently. And then we may, we're, we'll likely even kind of bump those closer up to the ETH level as, as the liquid staking um, kind of ecosystem matures. Oh, uh, so there's a, there's a bigger buffer there than you'll find in other places and it's lower cost than you'll find in other places. Um, 
And so in both of those ways, it reduces your risk somewhat, right? Because if you have a, you know, uh, an ongoing borrow fee over time, that will kind of, you know, erode your, um, your, your loan to loan to value buffer, I guess you could say. So being lower cost and then also allowing a higher loan to value makes it a little bit of a, a better venue in that way. Um, but it's still something to be, you know, cautious with, um, Again, there are some people who have the expertise and the desire to lever up and, you know, by all means. Uh, but for people like myself, I like to, I like to stay cautious with assets that I value so much. That's, yeah, of course, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised that the uh, loan to value like percentage is so high there. Like that, like if they, if you borrow up to, like you said, 90% or even 80%, like the LSTs, that means like what, like a 25% decrease in the price would mean you'd get liquidated. Is that right? Like, I don't fully understand DeFi stuff as well as you do. Like, no, what, no, what would that okay. look like? Yeah. So, so, um, so the idea here is, um, uh, so you're not going to borrow right up to that limit, right? So, so if you had a hundred dollars of ETH, yeah. let's actually take one of the liquid stake tokens. If you had a hundred dollars of our ETH and you mm -hmm. borrowed $80, that's yeah. the max you could borrow, which also means you'd be right at the liquidation threshold. Okay. Um, but what you would likely do instead is you say, I'm going to take $100 and I'm going to borrow 20 mm -hmm. or 30. And then either, you know, if you want to go levered, then what you'd do is you'd take that and you'd convert it into more our ETH and you'd roll it back into your collateral. And so then you'd have, now you have, say, $130 of our ETH and $30 of borrow. Um, so your loan to value is pretty low. Um, but if ETH falls in price a lot, then you're like approaching that buffer, yeah. right? Um, so let's let's like for a simple example, you say, okay, um, you borrowed, um, you know, you borrowed $20, $20 against $100. Um, and then you just went and made a real world um, purchase with that. Um, so you still have $100 of collateral and $20 worth of borrow. Um, the price of ETH needs to fall far enough that your the $20 is 80% of the value of your collateral before you'd get liquidated, Yeah. right? And so that's that's a pretty far drop. And it's a, and it's a larger drop than you see in most like competing platforms. Mm. And so um, the way to kind of compare them is you say, if I had $100 of our ETH and I wanted to borrow against it in platform one versus platform two, borrow the same amount. I borrow $20 here or $20 here. At what ETH price would I get liquidated yeah. in ETH platform? And in ours, it's a lower ETH price because we allow a, a larger loan to value. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's 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 really interesting. Um, one of the things that I've been talking about on Rocket Fuel recently is... Um, Aave's e-mode, right? And people using that to kind of hyperstake on their um, on their ETH. I think, uh, so, you know, the idea is that you deposit your ETH, uh, sorry, you mint our ETH, you take our ETH to Aave, they give you like 95% um, LTV, loan to value, but because the peg is like so tightly controlled, the chance of liquidation is very, very low because you'd have to move those percentages, which is not not as, well, of course, you know, it's possible because it happened with STETH nearly, or it did happen with STETH, but that way of hyperstaking is not what you guys are doing, right? Like, um, it's not going to let you fold it that many times. And that, of course, would be a lot more 
degen because you're getting like a USD stablecoin type of a thing back, not ETH back. Am I understanding that right? Like you are right. Yeah. yeah. So hyperstaking your borrow has this basically the same denomination as your collateral. You're mm -hmm. putting up our ETH, which will basically track ETH and you're borrowing ETH, mm -hmm. which means you can wind up the leverage really high. Yeah. And, and yeah, if, if our ETH doesn't diverge in price, you're just arbing the difference between the staking yield and the borrowing yield, borrow that's cost. Right. Yeah. And that's a really great thing. Uh, you can only wind up your leverage so high with something that you don't expect to diverge. You mm -hmm. don't expect your, your collateral and your borrow to diverge much. Um, so hyperstaking is great. Um, in version one, we won't be facilitating that because yeah, you're borrowing something that tracks closer to the dollar mm -hmm. than tracking closer to ETH. Of now we have, we really see a lot of value in hyperstaking. Yeah. And uh, so we have kind of, uh, we're in the idea stages of some things we could do there. Nice. So for instance, if you had a synthetic asset that, that you know, rather than tracking close to the dollar, track close to ETH, then you could offer kind of low cost hyperstaking. Um, and so there's there's some there's some thoughts that we've had there. We think it's a highly valuable thing. We think that it could be highly competitive because the cost to hyperstake is is not always super cheap. Mm -hmm. You know, cost to borrow ETH on Aave sometimes is uh is you know nears the 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 amount of uh, yield staking you get yield. on yep. staking. Yeah. Yep. And so if you if you could keep that cost lower, then the hyperstaking becomes a lot more. Um, attractive. So that's something that we actually are exploring. It's not a it's it's not a super easy problem, um, but it's not intractable, I don't think. Yeah. Um, but no, this one, you know, if if you wound up leverage, you're taking true dollar leverage, right? Which means it's better if ETH goes up in price, taking dollar leverage is better than uh, taking ETH leverage. But if it goes down in price, it's much worse. Of course. Um, so so it's it's one of those things where. Yeah, it's 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 different. It's more like borrowing against your RETH on MakerDAO is more similar to what we're doing. We're more of a competitor to MakerDAO's um, RETH vaults exactly. than to E-Mode on Aave. Both are great. And like I said, we we want to explore things that we can do um, in that other vein later on because they both they both serve really valuable functions. Yeah. And um and and both of them can be used to generate amplified yield. So so if if you're hyperstaking, then you just wind it up and then you kind of assume that RETH doesn't depeg, or maybe you do some hedging in case it does, mm -hmm. if you're kind of more expert. Um, if you want to take dollar leverage and you wind it up, then you're getting amplified yield as well, but then you need to hedge in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, so professionals will do both um, to say, hey, I'm, I want to amplify the yield I'm getting. Um, I'll do hyperstaking or I'll take um, what you might call true leverage. And then I'll go insure against that because uh, I don't want to get blown up if ETH goes down in price. So, um, yeah, both are highly valuable, but no, this is not the same as hyperstaking. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, big, big fan of of the stuff people are doing on Aave. I think that's that's a great usage of of liquid stake tokens as well. Um, but uh, we're we're uh, approaching it from a different angle uh, for, the, for the time being. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing that I'm really like. The thing that really excites me about Gravita is this amazing, like upfront kind of like not quite like like liquidity, but like this upfront half a percent like cost, right? Of course, you know you're gonna divide it out over six months, so the max you'll be paying is one percent a year. But that fixed half a percent is incredible in this high interest 
rate like era that we're living in right now um, and you know who knows how long it's going to last so the things that i'm thinking of right now is like look i've got 100k in our eth i am going to come and put it into gravita i'll get 30000 gry back which is your dollar tracking uh, token so you know my my leverage like my um um loan to value is quite low so the chance of getting liquidated is not not as high like you know the eth our ETH price would have to fall a lot in dollar terms for me to get liquidated. Then I can take that um, 30,000 GRI, convert it to LUSD, then convert that LUSD to USDC, for example, get it to Coinbase, get it to my bank and go buy a car. Do you know what I'm trying? Does that make sense? Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Does that sound like, a, like that? That then means that instead of, you know, going to a bank and getting a loan uh, at 5%, 7%, 8%, whatever it is now, I've got this, amazing loan for half a percent basically um and i paid it and that's it i'm i'm all done like i never have to worry about that interest payment again or like buying a house for example you know i've got a two million in re i take out 500k i go and buy a house and then i just basically when i want to make a repayment i'm just paying down my loan by doing the opposite way right so i deposit money into coinbase for example on ramp take that to my my wallet my ledger convert it to LUSD, convert that to GRI, because you're gonna be you're gonna be incentivizing that that pair you said, right? On on liquidity. Um then pay back my loan basically like and reduce my collateral. And that that's me making payments for the next 30 years at half a percent rate when people are getting paying like seven and a half, eight percent at the bank. Like yeah. why why is everyone not doing this? Like what 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 for one they need the collateral. They yeah. they need to get some ETH or some RETH or yeah. you know that's that's, um, that's that's a big barrier I guess yeah yeah but but no I agree you know and I, I had mentioned that I've helped clients do real world asset mm -hmm. purchases with liquidity before yeah and I think it's similar here but now you can do it and also earn yield on that collateral while you're doing it which is great. yeah because it's RETH right so it's appreciating in, in price against ETH as as yeah. time goes on so yeah so it's even better in that regard yeah. and and um, by the way so we are going to be incentivizing some um, Gry LUSD liquidity mm -hmm. uh, but we're likely going to have liquidity with with um, multiple things and some um, you know I, I've already talked to some some people who who are going to provide some liquidity between Gry and USDC so. Oh, nice. What I would do in the opposite direction, or, yeah. or in each direction, if you need to convert to USCC to buy your car or convert mm -hmm. back to, to pay back, is just go use a DEX aggregator and it will route you whatever way is most effective. Like, yeah, you go straight from grad to USDC, or maybe you do go through LUSD, just depending yeah. on liquidity and stuff. But, you know, just kind of a, a slight tweak there. But yeah, yeah. So our liquidity, we'll, we'll have a lot of Gry LUSD liquidity. We'll, we'll likely have Gry USDC liquidity and then others, you know, Gry ETH and, and um, depending on what you want to do. Yeah. Um, so if you, if you did want to take true leverage, then, you know, you mint Gry, you likely could just swap it straight into ETH and then deposit yeah. it. And um, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of kind of real world purchase um, purchases using these collateral types myself. Yeah. I think um, for myself, I like to be really cautious to your point. You know, if I'm going to borrow 30 K against a hundred, that's a pretty low, you know, and, um, and then using productive assets as the collateral type to me is a, is a big thing too. So yeah, for that kind of real world purchase, I think, I think there's a lot of value there. I think there'll be a growing value there yeah. as well. That's really exciting. 
Okay, so I got a couple of questions, and then maybe we can wrap this up. Um, sure. It's been fascinating. Um, one of them is uh, when token. So, uh, what? Tell me what your ideas about um, the token are, and like what function you think it will have. Will you have a token? Like, to, like you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, so that's why I bring it up. So, tell me what what kind of ideas you have around that, and how that's going to work. Good question. So, uh, the token will not be live at launch, uh, mm -hmm. but we will have a token. Um, one of the things that it will do is governance because, you know, while we love the um, ungoverned nature of liquidity with full immutability, there are some aspects of the protocol that will always need some level of governance, like onboarding new collateral, deciding what the max loan to value and mint cap should be for those. Um, so there's always going to be some level of governance. And so that's part of the function of the token. Um, there's some other things that we are um, settling on what how that will function, but we want the token to um, be uh, to, you know, for someone who wants to come in and use the system, having the token, we want to benefit you. Um, and um, so, you know, we, there's some things that we won't announce just yet, but uh, it'll be more than just governance, but governance will be there. Yeah. Um, and then we really want the uh, holders of, of our token grvt we want them to be values aligned with the you know the whole purpose of the protocol was to be um you know a force for good for both decentralization of ethereum and censorship resistance and so we want good um uh stewards of of the you know people aligned with that to be holders of the token and so we want to distribute the token in a way that is um that is both fair and ends up like getting the token into the hands of people who are aligned with that mission. Um, if that makes sense. Um, a lot of the token is reserved for, um, the community and things like not a lot has gone to investors or team. Uh, so there's, you know, the overwhelming majority of the token is still, um, there and we want to get it into the right hands. And, um, I don't know if that answers the question very well. Yeah, that, that's great. Um, and then the last question is, when Gravitas, like, what are your ideas for launch? Um, when can we when can we get involved with that? Yeah, great question. Thank you. Thanks for asking. So um, our audit competition, which is our third audit, wraps up tomorrow, May 8th. Um, and uh, we think we're going to be able to launch soon thereafter. So we um, are planning for a mid-May launch. Um, I won't give an exact date just yet, but, um, very soon. Um, so in the next few weeks, uh, you'll be able to come in and use our system. That's so exciting. Uh, actually, let me just, um, ask this, um, do you know what the caps will be in, in, in like day one of, of Gravitas launch for like our ETH? Good question. So I've been, uh, or we have been, um, uh, kind of finalizing some of those things uh, lately. And um, uh, we want there to be enough room that like people aren't just locked out um, mm -hmm. right away, but we want them to be low enough that we can gradually um, uh, kind of grow the system. It's looking like it'll be maybe something like um, low seven figures will be the max uh, mintable against our ETH on day one. Mm -hmm. um, but um uh somewhere in that range and then we're going to be pretty active like you know if on day one those mint caps fill 
Uh, we want to raise them again quickly mm. to let people come use the system who want to. Yeah. Um, but we just think that's a good safety measure. And so some of that will depend on demand, right? So if if the mint caps are filling very fast, maybe we even raise it more often than twice a week. But we we want to be able to facilitate people, but just utilize that as another safety measure. Yeah. Very open to feedback from the community. If there's a lot of people who are saying, well, we really want to use this on day one and and you know, that mint cap's going to be pretty restrictive for us. And we're open to uh, bumping it up or or raising it more quickly as well um, but that's what it's kind of looking like right now nice that's really great um Rhett, um is there anything that you'd like to add that i didn't ask you the any topics that you think might be useful for people who are interested in gravitor to learn about before uh you guys launch some point soon good question so you know we're very open um to to questions and feedback we've got a, a twitter and um and discord feel free to come join and um also um, I'm, I'm probably going to make myself available in, in like some discord hangouts and Twitter spaces for people to just come ask questions. Um, you know, someone who, you know, if, if there's anything that wasn't answered here, if someone wants to come and, and ask us some questions about design or even like, Hey, what are, what are ways that I could use the system, et cetera. Um, very, very open. And there's, there's lots of different ways to use the system, right? Like I have a, I have a friend who's just sitting on some stables that they've been meaning to, uh, DCA into ETH. And they're like, well, maybe I just convert that to grind deposit in the stability pool. Uh, so they won't even be opening up a debt position. They'll just use that, use the stability pool as a way to convert to ETH and LSTs at a discount, basically. Yeah. So yeah. Um, feel free to reach out. I'm on Twitter. We have, we, we're on Discord. Um, want to answer all your questions and make it the best experience we can for people who want to use a, a, a system like this. Yeah, tell some of the rocket poolers on your team to reach out to me, and I'll be happy to give you guys a shout out on Rocket Fuel as as you got these like um, events planned. Um, and yeah, you should definitely sure. come on one of the Rocket Pool Twitter Spaces as well, and kind of explain how you are integrating Arith into Gravita. I think um, that will kind of open up to a slightly different audience from what Rocket Fuel has. So um, I think that'll be really useful for you all too. Yeah, would love to do so. Yeah, thank you. Um, um, Staying close touch. I'm really excited, uh, Rhett, to see um, what the um, Gravitas growth is going to be like. I'm really rooting for you all. Um, Fornax, I absolutely love. And the other people like Munchkiner and others who I've talked to from your team, they're all really cool people. So I really want you to like have the best success. And um, I'm definitely going to be cheering you all on. And um, I, really, I really think you guys are all doing some really cool stuff. So congratulations on everything so far and good luck for your launch whenever that might be. Yeah, thanks <laughs> and, so um, much. I really appreciate it. And I'll yeah. definitely be uh, cheering you all on actively on Rocket Fuel and from the sidelines as well. So um, thank you for coming on. Thank you for explaining what Gravita is and telling us a little bit about yourself. And um, we we'll look forward to seeing launch and all the good stuff. Awesome. That yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. thanks so much for having me. Of course, it's an absolute pleasure. Talk to you soon.